0: Thank you, Bibi. Yes, obviously we've been mm-hmm. pondering and thinking about brothers and sisters that we know in Afghanistan and have met. And um, Well, what to say? What to say about these things? I think one of the first things to say is that man cannot change himself. That men and women, boys and girls, they cannot change themselves in the deep places of their lives. Uh, that is impossible to man. Um, man may civilise himself a bit, but that's all he does. He may educate himself a bit, but that's all he does. Mm-hmm. He may do this, do that, do the other, may dress himself up, all kinds of things, but the one thing he cannot do is transform mm-hmm. his heart. And so whether it's the sophisticated suits and Wall Street, or in the Twin Towers of uh, KL, or wherever it might be, or the arrogant man in Beijing, or these people, what do they call them? These religious leaders of all sorts. Uh, they may spout many words, but the one thing that no one can do is change their spots. Can the leopard j- change his spots? No, he can't. Can man give himself a pure heart? No, he can't. Can a person be transformed by the exercise? Can the psychiatrist do it? No, they can't. Can the counselors do it? No, they can't. And there's only one who can do that, and that is God. And of course, you may have spent uh, quite a lot of your life trying to do God's work for him in the sense that you so long to be changed. And uh, you'll have only found failure disappointment on the way. Uh, there is but one who is able to save a man's soul, a woman's soul and that is God through Jesus Christ and by the spirit and the pride of man. And I guess we are not to be afraid of uh, Islam, uh, or uh, this and that and the other, you know, these pretensions of men, they're all pretensions. And you, you must always remember this, you know, the, the scripture is very, very wonderful. I was hoping one day to speak on this, but I won't do it today. But, you know, you might remember a verse, you can turn to it at least in... 1 Corinthians 15, and you could just turn to this um, and have a look at uh, the Apostle Paul and in the 10th verse um, where Paul uses, and I think nearly everyone will know this little verse, uh, by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15:10. By the grace of God, I am what
1: I am.
0: I am what I am. You know, it would be entirely natural for us to ask one another: who are you? Who are you? By that we mean, what's your name? Who are you? Where do you come from? Uh, who are you? Uh, what's your education? Who are you? What's your work? Who are you? Who, who are you? But Paul doesn't say who he is. He says what he is. What he is. I by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew what he was, a religious bigot, proud, arrogant Pharisee, who had some kind of heart that was seeking God, genuinely, he knew what he was, he was a murderer, killer of Christians, putting them in prison. He knew what he was, hard-spirited man. That's what religious religion does for you. Religion makes you hard. That is an explanation, of course, of what's taking place in those militant men in Afghanistan. And uh, religion hath made their hearts hard as stone. Hard as stone. And yet, Paul underwent a marvelous and tremendous move of God upon his heart. And it changed what he was, what he was, the substance of what he was, what he was, you know, this is one, one of the reasons why you and I should uh, uh, come face to face with ourselves. What are you? And you may remember that Jesus himself met a man, he crossed the sea uh, on, with some of the disciples on a boat and came out the other side um, and there met him, a man coming out of the tombs, a man with chains on him, but broken chains and a man who uh, was crazy. And this man, they couldn't chain him. They couldn't contain him. He was such a man. Um, and he came and he knelt down at Jesus' feet. He ran and he worshipped him down at Jesus' feet. And Jesus was seeking to deal with demons in him. And Jesus asked him this question, what? is your name, what is it? Not who are you, not what village do you come from, not what race, not what people, not what ethnic group, What not, not what social group you come from. What is your name? And the man answered, uh, my name is Legion for we are many. He knew what he was, was a, a man demonized by many devils. He'd given his soul over. His soul had been taken over. His mind had been taken over. And what he was, what he was, and, oh, he came and he wanted to be different. He recognized that this man who got out the boat was different to other men. He could change what you are. What you are. Your substance, the substance of your being. And dear Paul, in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that 10th verse says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew the power of grace, and I want to let you know, and you know this yourselves, if you're honest about it, there is so much powerless Christianity around. So much powerless Christianity, so much powerless preaching, so much powerless music in the churches so much entertainment such a show so much powerless prayer you know that gets nowhere beyond the ceiling and uh, powerlessness and when the power of god uh, meets the power of needy men he changes what they are and they know it the substance so if I was to ask you the question what are you can you say by the grace of God I am what I am doesn't mean to say I'm a finished article yet but and my substance, I've been changed. Once I was angry, raging, mad, hard. Once I was a sentimentalist. You know, uh, once I was a vain, vain woman, a vain man. But w- once I did not know how to love, I was not a lover. Once I had a dirty heart, that's what I was through and through, that now I am what I am by the grace of God. It's tremendous, and his grace toward me was not in vain. That's how Paul carries on, doesn't he, in that 10th verse. His grace toward me was not in vain. I guess Paul, being a 100% man, he 100% uh, agreed with God's will for his life. I, I guess being 100% Double, uh, a hundred percent man. A double-minded man in, is unstable in all his ways. You, I mean, if you know you're double-minded as a person, if you know that you give way too easily to opinions and fads and fancies and all the rest of that kind of stuff, that's the first thing you better go to God about that he will give you a steadfast desire to know him and to really go on with him. Paul was a 100% man. Whatever he did was a 100% man. Blessed are you if you're a 100% kind of person and not a half-hearted, a double-minded person. But dear Paul, 100% man, when Jesus got hold of him, hallelujah, uh, he 100% yielded to that grace, his grace toward me was not in vain, his grace toward me was not in vain, and you know the grace of God comes out to you, comes out to young people, the grace of God comes to them and in so many it's in vain, it's in vain, they play around for 20 years and start getting a little bit serious when they're in their 40s and 50s and in the western world two marriages later or whatever it might be and the Lord is always trying to get to what they are. That's where they will face up to what they are. What are you? What am I? And I have to answer that. I have to go down into my inner parts and say, what are you there, Bernard? What are you there? Uh, are you a shallow layabout? Um, are you just a, just a casual preacher? What are you? And the serious, isn't it? And, of course, what you are. And, you know, in some ways, it's a very scary thing to come to that sort of point. One of the testimonies to the powerlessness of the churches and the ministries is that demons are not being cast out. They're not being cast out. They're not being confronted and cast out. I was thinking just before the meeting uh, about this and I was thinking to today's even recent days where someone got in touch with a pastor friend of mine and I'd been speaking in a meeting and uh, in fact the day's meetings and uh, a pastor friend got in touch. He was there. He'd arranged the meetings. And uh, a young lady, 28 years old, had got in touch with him. She was in the meetings. And uh, she was actually apparently sitting quite near me when I was speaking. And she got in touch with him, a full-time Christian worker what she was and she got in touch with him and she said I'm in trouble I've been thinking about that meeting for the last six months she said uh, I want to talk to that man because all the time he was speaking I wanted to get up and kill him I wanted to get up and kill him and so she phoned the pastor, and it was arranged that we met up. And sure enough, you know, there was, she had a few devils that had to be cast out her soul. She'd given herself up to sin of particular kind, from which she repented and was loosed from it, you see. And you know, ask God, I'm thinking, and now, sister, um, mention Malacca and Gateway. And those five congregations, the Bahasa congregation, the bilingual, the Mandarin congregation, the, um, the English-speaking congregation, and the Hockam Baba congregation. And of course, we were involved with all of them and sometimes spent six weeks at a stretch down there and to try and help them. And uh, we loved being there in Malacca and with those congregations. But I well remember in one of the congregations, the pastor said to me, will you please Talk to a man who's come into our church in the last nine months, and he has many powers, but as he's exercising these things, he calls the gifts of the Spirit. He's causing difficulties with some of the people. Will you talk to him afterwards? I said, yes, I'll talk to him after the meeting, uh, as long as you're alongside me, and we'll, we'll talk with him. And sure enough, after the meeting, and everybody had gone, and it was quiet, we sat and talked with this man. He was a man in his fifties, I guess. And uh, he... I asked him one or two questions, tell me a little bit about yourself, what's, what's going on? I, yes, I've, I've been in several churches in Malacca, he said, and, and now I'm in this particular congregation, this gateway congregation. And uh, I said, you understand that uh, some of these, things you're saying, these gifts you're exercising, they're, they're not bringing life. Just tell me about them. Just tell me about them. And he began to tell me about the discernment he had and this, the understanding of souls that he had. And, and uh, so it went on, the conversation went on. And then I said to him, I said, now tell me which of your parents had these powers or your grandparents had these powers? He said, oh, I think he said it was my mother. No, it was my father. That's right, it was my father. And when did these powers start to show themselves false in you? Oh, from when I was very young. I knew things about people. I knew this, I knew that, I knew the other. And uh, I said, oh, is that right? Let me categorically say to you, sir, that those things are not of Jesus, but of fallen Adam. And you must repent of them, the fact that they came through your father and the fact that you had them from earliest, you were not in Jesus when you were a 10 year old. You were in Adam and you are exercising Adam's fallen powers. And then when you came into the churches, I said, I guarantee that you've caused trouble in those other churches you've been in haven't you?" And he, he said, yes. But his knowledge is, it, I'm right. I, I discern things about people. I know things about the atmosphere of the meetings and so on and so forth. I wish I could give a good report about the end of this story because I said to him, do you understand that Jesus took Adam to death? And that means all of Adam's powers and all his abilities. They'd all become defiled, filthy. God is not interested in them. Whether you've got PhDs and know this, that and the other. And I said, you understand that he, he wants, it's the Jesus life. It's the Jesus power. It's the G's, the gifts of the Spirit are those things that are the workings of Jesus Christ by the Spirit in the churches. They are not the workings of Adam. And I said, you must repent. You must repent of it. You must renounce it. You must uh, let God cut you off from all that stuff and that stuff out of you. And I wish I could give a good report because he resisted point blank and went pretty crazy and leapt up out of his chair, shoved the chair all over the place and marched out. And I guess he left the church. I knew nothing more of that man you see, it was what was in him and you understanding what I'm saying and how much, my brothers and sisters, we need ministries that reach into these realms and that where the devils and I have to say to you that I know full well when I listen to some of the Christian stuff on YouTube, I do not hear Jesus. I hear demons speaking through. I know because it doesn't produce life. It produces fascination with ideas. It produces people getting in the grip of prophetic ideas that lead nowhere the ministry of god's spirit writes leads the listener right into the heart of jesus and jesus takes them right into the father occult spirits masquerading you know most of the divisions in the churches, the schisms in the churches, often are linked with doctrines of demons. Now, I want to get to let this lead us just into some comments from this chapter, this book of the Bible, because you've got a title there, Embracing. There are four words in the Topic for today, or the title for today, and uh, I will just touch on this and use these remarks to lead us into the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is uh, called a minor prophet, Micah is a minor prophet, Zephaniah is a minor prophet. Now, let it be clear in your heart. That the true prophetic ministry is never minor. It's never minor. There's no major and minor in the true prophetic ministry. If God is speaking, then there's nothing minor about it in compared with the major. It's, it's the length, the duration of the books, the prophetic utterances. And you know, you can go to the end of your Old Testament and go a few pages back, and you'll arrive, of course, you'll, you'll find Malachi, you'll find Zechariah, you'll find Haggai, you'll find Zephaniah, and then you'll find Habakkuk, my friend Habakkuk, someone to whom I return occasionally and i want you to look there at the first verse and so let me just tell you a little bit about the background you know that the people of god had prostituted themselves you know that the people of god had turned away from god they were still religious they'd split into two there was a, a whole 10 tribes worth of them had split off from the other two or three tribes. And you will remember, of course, that uh, various prophets had prophesied among those northern tribes there. They'd made a new capital called Samaria, those 10 tribes. And uh, they had instituted through their leader jeroboam a false religion you know calling it jehovah but it was just idols notions horrible golden calves and they organized their own priesthood they'd organized their own ministry isn't it an awful thing and god had sent unto them prophets rising early as he puts it in the Jeremiah prophecy, he had spoken to them, always prophets, never just a prophet. God always speaks at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Never one, two or three witnesses. That, that is law in God and you will remember that the prophets, someone like Hosea, prophesied in that northern kingdom. He spoke the word there. Isaiah prophesied to both kingdoms. And so it goes on. Hosea and Isaiah were contemporaries in the time that they prophesied. And their prophecies were not personal prophecies. They were not interpersonal prophecy. In fact, neither should you be. You understand that true prophetic ministry is dealing with the substance of society, the substance of the church, where it's at, and speaking right into the situation from God, from God. And that northern kingdom had gone completely pear shaped and it was gone. They had been, two things had happened in the judgments of God. First of all, the great empire had come in there taken it over they had taken half the population and scattered them around the other provinces and then they had imported in from the other provinces they'd imported in people from those provinces and the net result of those half-caste mixed up confused people in jesus day the outcome of that were called the samaritans the samaritans they're the outcome of that hybrid mixed up mixed race mixed religion muddle they're called the samaritans you remember of course how Jesus had dealing with, with the Samaritan woman, lovely story, um, praise God, praise God. And so they'd all, you know, the Northern Kingdom had disappeared, just a vassal. And it left Judah, Jerusalem, the, the people of Judah, the people of Levi, and the people of Benjamin. And there they were. And they were going the same way. They were falling away. and God had been rising early and speaking to them. And hallelujah, God had raised up prophets. And he had those who were faithful in the midst of that nation. He always has some who have not bowed the knee to Baal always he has such people. They may be hidden in caves. you keep this firm in mind when you think of Afghanistan. Because the church is born of God and because it has God's DNA in it, in that DNA is indestructibility. Keep that clear. Keep it clear. God is indestructible. Hallelujah. He is everlasting. When he begot his church. By the Holy Ghost. Through Jesus. He begot his church. And it doesn't matter what is thrown at it. There will be that. Those of his who will suffer even unto death the indestructible wonderful church hallelujah and it's good to keep that clear in mind and also that at any one time on the earth there must be that part of the body of Christ that is suffering. And it may be our turn in the West soon. It may be our turn in the West soon. First, to suffer opposition, increasing opposition, vile opposition, unjust opposition, lies and so on you're all you know expect these things and then opposition intensifying into persecution and imprisonment and beloved understand that at such times there is a shining there is a glory there is a certainty a certitude of heart, there is a presence, there are miracles, there are things, there is a purifying and a purging that God accomplishes. Isn't it wonderful how he uses the things that are most against us to strip away all the nonsense, and bring us to brass tacks right down to the real nitty gritty, the real fundament of everything, the substance of what it's all about and who we are. And, you know, into that atmosphere, so we are about 620 BC, all right those tribes in Judah and Jerusalem, those three remaining tribes, and they had compromised their position into such a situation uh, that God had been sending his prophets. At this time, there was a prophet named Jeremiah, a young man just beginning to prophesy. And uh, uh, a, a few years later, there was a young man, only a young teenager who was dragged off to Babylon, whose name of course was Ezekiel. And he was there, so that's some years later. And then there was another young man named Daniel, same time, same time, young man, young man who refused to be in the mold of the king's palace, isn't it wonderful, God's ways. So God is right ahead of the action. He's got his men, he's got his women, and along with them, there's Habakkuk, you know, round about 620 BC, and he's prophesying in the middle. You know, uh, his heart is full of foreboding. He is looking out upon the cruel, cruel Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Neo-Babylonians, who are beginning to uh, flex their muscles powerfully, powerfully, coming down to Jerusalem. And uh, this is what, how the, the, the prophecy begins, the, the oracle of God, which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw the oracle of God. Some of you might have uh, another Bible. Let me just look at this one and see what it says. Because some of the Bibles say this word burden. You know, that version I just read said oracle. Let's see what this one. This one, this Bible says, the burden of God, which Habakkuk saw, the prophet saw, the prophet saw. Isn't that wonderful? You know, some of us need to just take a time and really soak in a few words like this. The burden of Habakkuk. No, it doesn't say the burden of Habakkuk. It, oh, the uh, the burden of Billy Graham. No, it doesn't say Billy Graham. The burden of evangelism. It doesn't say that. The burden of ministry. No, it doesn't say that. The burden of the church. No, it doesn't say that. It says the burden of God. The burden of God. The oracle of God. The word in the Hebrew means something that weighs you down god was weighed down with the people of god's sin he was weighed down it was the burden of god i know that god feels like that today <laughs> i know it's not all he feels i know that but the burden of god which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, he saw. You know, I, I tell you, I, I was pondering this in the context of the New Testament and I was thinking about dear John in the book of the Revelation. Very wonderful. Dear, dear John, you know, it, it he saw and saw and saw and saw. He saw lengths and breadths and depths and heights. He saw down the centuries. He saw. Um, he saw. He bears testimony to all the things that he, he saw and he heard. He saw and he heard and all of this because he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I tell you, and I'll just mention this, to be in the spirit means to be deeply attentive and to shut your mouth. To be in the spirit does not mean that you're giving your opinion in the Bible study. To be uh, in the spirit means exactly what it says. You're living somewhere or momentarily for five minutes or 15. You're in the eternities deeper than thinking. And you're allowing your heart to be taken into that quiet, quiet place where God can have fellowship with you. And with me, pastors need this. Get off the computer, some of you. Get off the computer. Get off of WhatsApp. Stop it for a while and just be, <laughs> you know, with God, your friend, with God, your most high, with God, your rock, and let the rockness of God come into you. Taste it, you know. Let your heart know what God is, you see. That's one of the reasons, of course, why I don't drink of all this stuff nowadays. In fact, I get fed up with it. The songs that are all about the love of God and how sweet he is and how tender he all, you know, and so on and so forth. John, this revelator, you know, he wrote a letter and he gives us a definition of God, doesn't he? He gives us a definition of God. No, he doesn't. He gives us two definitions of God. And you tell me which one's first, both, both of those definitions of God. Begin, begin with the letter L. What is God? <laughs> you know, and they both come, begin with the letter L. Can you tell me which one comes first? One of them's in chapter four. And it's the lovely word, love. God is love. What comes in chapter one? God is
1: light. Light,
0: light, that's how John knows God. Of course, John knew that love was working in his own life in light, but he knew that he had to come into the light to know the love. If you try and know the love without the light, your in sentimentalism and religious nonsense. You see, this is how it works. But dear Habakkuk, he, he, he shared the burden of God and he saw it. He saw it. I think come back to John in the book of the Revelation. He saw further. He saw deeper, amen, he saw the darkness, he saw the light, he saw the purpose of God, he saw, he saw, he saw, and of course, dear Habakkuk, he saw, and by the way, you might wonder where I get the word embracing from in the title. It's because that's what his name means. His name means one who embraces. Are you ready to embrace God, the true God? With all that that means. You know, the true God, our God, the Lord Jesus, he embraced us at Calvary. In all our horror and shame, he embraced us and he wants us to embrace him and embrace his will and embrace his ways. And this is one of the things that uh, prophets, those who minister, those who are in the world, they, they've got to embrace all of God. His judgments, his righteousness, his tenderness. You must embrace, you can't embrace just his tenderness. You've got to embrace his judgments, you've got to embrace his righteousness, you've got to embrace his joy. It's not some light, shallow joy that the song leader tries to psych people up on into in their Sunday morning meetings. Don't you get tired of it? You know, the joy of the Lord comes from the deep states of his righteousness and his peace. Praise God, and dear, dear, dear Habakkuk, the man who's ready to embrace what God is showing him, to embrace the true God, and it says here, oh Lord, and here's the questionings, here's, here's Habakkuk, the embracer, the one who wants to embrace God's will, God's purpose, God's judgments, God's love, God's tenderness for his people, God's judgments for his people, the one who's wanting to embrace, who's not wanting to superimpose his own opinions upon God. His questioning begins, that's the second word, embracing. And now his questioning, he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and thou wilt not hear? Or cry to thee, violence,
1: and thou wilt not save?
0: How long? He's been praying. He's been agonizing, by the way, doesn't mean to say he was using a lot of words. Of Course not. Prayer is not a lot of words. Prayer is your heart going up, sometimes an ejaculation, just a phrase. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Our nation's in a mess. Our churches are in a mess. Oh, how I would long to be able to pray with a few men like this. especially men, ladies are much more prayerful in general. Us men, we're busy with our silly plans. How you long to pray, <laughs> you know, with a few men who would just allow God to be God and break their souls up and perhaps put their, you know, I was able to pray with a young man a little while back, about 10 days ago, I think it was. And I was so very firm with him. And it was such a joy to me to see this 31 year old get down on his knees and bury his face in the carpet and begin to repent of his pride and his arrogance. And he used those words, he used those words. You see, that's a beginning, that's a beginning. And dear, how long shall I cry for help? Oh Lord, your people, your people. And thou wilt not hear heavens as brass, eh? Or cry to thee, violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou make me see wrongs? And look upon trouble? <clears throat> I guess they would have been calling old Habakkuk Mr. Doom and Gloom. Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the
1: law is slacked and justice
0: never goes forth, the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. USA, eh? How about that? Justice goes forth perverted. Increasingly, the godly, the righteous are being surrounded by the wicked. You know, the law is slacked, let's be casual. Do you not see those of you from the West realize that as soon as you slack, the law of God, one man, one woman for life. You inevitably uncork the bottle and the dregs of it will be. Homosexuality and lesbianism and transgender and every filth. Moving to even worse things involving children, where the law is slacked. And the Lord God, our God, He spoke and He said, I've given you the gift of marriage, one man and one woman. Anyway, there you are. These are days in which we live, and even the churches are slacking the ways of God, mm-hmm. aren't they? And uh, the result is justice never goes forth. And then God answers this questioning prophet. I want to say something just at this point. You must never think that Habakkuk's questionings are rising out of an awkward, critical mind. He is... Humble of heart, saying, Oh Lord, you're carrying me somewhere in my deeps, you're sharing your burden with me oh lord he's not questioning god and saying now get yourself sorted out lord isn't it time you did something double quick now come on what about it save the world stop the injustice it's horrible you know these little innocent suffering and so on. there's none of that kind of um, uh, spirit in Habakkuk Oh, Lord, I'm embracing you, but I don't understand why, why I can't see right through what you're doing. And then God answers such a man, he won't answer you. If you're one of those awkward people who are always arguing, you know, those, but people, you know, but, but, you know, but, you know, sometimes when I think of, I, I always remember someone who always, whenever I said anything, sounds like oh, and they'd say, but, you see, B-U-T, you know, B-U-T, and then often I used to think, actually, at another T, they were behaving like a goat, B-U-T-T, butting back, <laughs> always butting back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used to, anyway, that's by the by. But God, he will answer you. He will begin to answer you. The whole wonderful way God took this man right through this little book. Here's how God begins to answer him. Verse five. Look among the nations and see. Wonder wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told, isn't it? Um, lovely. <laughs> uh, just, just the phrase. I mean, the way God's going <laughs> to be talking through his answer is pretty stiff stuff. But I'm doing a work in your days. It's all right. Well, what about the devil? I mean, these Neo-Babylonians, these Chaldeans, you know, some of those leaders are demon-possessed. Come on, Lord, what are you talking about? It's demons. It's Satan, isn't it? No, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Isn't that amazing? I'm not gonna go into detail, God says, but I'm doing a work. He wants us to understand, I'm doing a work. Now, I must have mentioned this to some of you before. I, I must have done, but, March 16th, 2020 in an Assemblies of God in Klang. And I was asked by the pastor, I was doing several meetings for that church. And I flew out from there late in the evening that night. But I was asked by the pastor, we are recognizing some leaders, in the Sunday morning meeting, would you lead that part of the service? And I said, yes, I, I will, if that's what you want. And so I was out the front and these leaders, these new leaders were there, they were to be prayed for. And before I could begin to pray, God gave me this vision, suffer me to, if you've heard it before, Okay, please just listen to it afresh. It's as clear as clear can be. There was this wonderfully swift, flowing, clear river shining in the sunshine as it flowed on swiftly, swiftly. And into this river, stepped down a very large almost a giant prospector with his great big pan he was going in there to do a work and he stood in it he stood in the current and the current didn't knock him over he was almost regal triumphant just standing there and he dipped into the waters and down into the into the bed of the stream. And he lifted up his pan and it was full of rocks and garbage and stuff and so on. And with his right hand, he swept away the, the large rocks that were on the top. And then he dipped his pan down into the waters. And the combination of the rhythm of his movements of the pan and the combination of that with the waters flowing through these clear waters, let me emphasize that, clear waters flowing through and he did it several times, he lifted it up and looked and some of the debris had gone and he did it again. And then he lifted it out and, and it's more debris had gone until in the end, there was nothing left, but some pieces of gold in the bottom of the pan, what he'd been looking for. And there we were, one or two of you may have been at that particular meeting, I don't know, you may call it to mind, but then the Lord granted the interpretation, so positive, It's. I can hear it still in my heart, you are not to fear the things that are coming upon the world. <clears throat> These are my circumstances. It is a river of circumstances and my intentions and my purposes are clear as crystal. And I am stood in the midst of the stream of circumstances and the combination of my skill and the flowing river of circumstances that are to come. I will do my work and find my goal. It was as clear as that. And I cannot emphasize in my own ponderings at the time and since through the months, and it's over a year ago now, you know, I, I sense this great triumphant voice of the Lord in my heart saying, you are not to fear. I'm in the midst of the stream of circumstances. I'm doing my work and I see the same thing here in the fifth verse. I am doing a work in your days. That's God. That's God. I'm doing a work in the United States. I'm doing a work in the world. I'm doing a work. You know, the, the, the stream of circumstances are clear. God's intentions are clear. There's no murk in it. There's nothing murky, dirty water. This, as far as he is concerned, it's, it's wonderful what he's doing. Oh, embrace it, my brothers and sisters. You know, be a Habakkuk, embrace, be one who embraces. That sometimes God's ways employ. Verse six Lo, I am rousing the Chaldeans, that's the Neo Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize habitations not their own. Dread and terrible are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. That's it. When I think of China, and you know I'm not being ethnic, I'm not being antagonistic to any people, but not at all. But their justice and dignity proceed from themselves just like the American people prostituted because originally something of their greatness came from God. They had something of God in their origin didn't they and then and then and then you know their justice and their dignity uh, they forgot God and proceeds from themselves and now the uh, United States no longer wants to be the policeman of the world it has got weak people for leaders who know not God and know not the ways as the souls of men. And the net result of them backing away, of course, is there's no policeman in Afghanistan. No one to set some boundaries around the madness of a certain group. You understand these things. You know their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves, their horsemen press proudly on. Yea, their house horsemen come from afar, they fly like an eagle, swift, to devour. You, you may regard my words or these words that God says if I was to apply them. Oh, to apply them. You know, there's a conference that begins down here shortly nearby to us. We we won't be going, but I just heard that, that everybody has to be uh, providing a what do they call the thing, darling? A certificate that they've been uh, either jabbed or they have a testing so that they that they haven't got COVID. And they can't even go on, on the site. They can't <laughs> go to a meeting and so on and so forth. And the cost of this, so to go to one meeting is going to cost you uh, something like uh, let me just get it right, 400 and ringgits equivalent. You know, isn't that amazing? $120 uh, Canadian. You know, you just imagine this, you see, that there are some that are just making money upon money, upon money, upon money, mm-hmm. money. Am I making sense that they're pressing on? They fly like an eagle, swift to devour, make money. You know they don't care. They all come for violence, verse 9. Terror of them goes before them. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. Yes, they are in high places, in high places. You know, your George soros and so on and so forth, that kings, they scoff. At the little countries in Africa, they scoff. You understand what I mean? The, the, the super wealthy of the world, you know, they scoff at governments. They will have their way. This is their seeking to capture. See, there's nothing new under the sun. They laugh at every fortress for they heap up earth and they take it, they take it, they heap up earth. Oh, it's so graphic to me. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on Guilty men whose own might is their God. Whose own might is their God. Isn't that remarkable? We can do it. China, Russia, Europe, United States. Their own might is their God. And this is where we're living, right in the midst of it. And here's the man who's embracing God, embracing his ways. He's not arguing against God, you're wrong to do this. You're, you're wrong to do this. You're, you're wrong to, imply, to employ a bitter and hasty nation, a godless people whose might is their God. You know, you're wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't complain like that. Verse 12, Habakkuk begins to speak again. Art thou not from everlasting? It's lovely, you know. Oh God, I've just heard you speaking about all these peoples and all this cruelty and all this viciousness and all this horror, but you're from everlasting. You're from everlasting you predate them and you who is the beginning shall also be the ending you shall antedate them you shall be after them as you were before them O oh lord you're from everlasting O oh lord my god my holy one we shall not die
1: O Lord, Thou hast
0: ordained them for a judgment. And Thou, O Rock, hast established them
1: for a discipline. For
0: a discipline. Amen. Do you want me to narrow this down just to something personal, perhaps in your life where you went astray? you went wrong, and then perhaps around you, even fellow Christians were unkind to you, and you wondered why some of them were so hurtful to you, and perhaps others were sympathetic, and, and you went through all sorts of upheavals in your thinking. And then as you yielded to God and his ways, you came to the point where you understood that even those who were bitter and hasty against you, that God had arranged that they should do his bidding to discipline you and humble you, to only do you good. Isn't that remarkable? How even enemies, enemies, can prove to be God's vehicles of shaping you and blessing you and working in you. Oh, hallelujah, God <laughs> establishes things for chastisement. Blessed is the man who uh, bears this yoke of discipline, the woman. Because he shall come to know, verse 13, thou who art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on wrong. This is where it starts to become intensely personal as well. Oh Lord, you're right to discipline me. You're a purer eyes, you, you can't behold evil in me. You, you, you've got to work by whatever mechanism you want. You love me so much that you, you can't look on evil in me, and uh, you can't look on wrong, you, 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 you must deal with me. Hallelujah. Why dost thou look on faithless men and art silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous? then he, yeah, there's a lot of unrighteousness around, but God is dealing in righteousness with his church. So now I've swung to think about the church. I know that there are siftings strong and mighty that are going to come upon the churches. Mm-hmm. They're happening already. And some people, some people are being swept away by the currents of circumstances, for their lives are nothing more than nominalism. <laughs> and others are finding lots of stuff that's been just earthy being washed away from them, and they are being left with some real substance down inside, and they know what they are. And those of you who are pastors and leaders, this is happening among your precious people. It's happening. It's happening. Thou makest men, verse 14, like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He mm-hmm. brings all of them up with a hook and he drags them out with his net. He's talking about this callous, callous enemy. He drags them out with his net, he gathers them in his seine, so he rejoices and exhausts. And then he, therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his seine, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly slaying? Nations forever? Another question, humble question. Oh God, is this going to go on forever and ever? Is this Babylon? Is this trouble going to go on forever and ever? Is it going to go on? Is there no end to it? Is there no end to it? Is there no climax? Is there no finish? Is there no triumph? And then you flow on in dear Habakkuk's uh, talking to God, I will stand. I'll take my stand to watch <coughs> and station myself on the tower and look forth to say, to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And I ought to stop but, um, and carry on another time. You know But I love the way these are, were among verses that meant a lot to us, my wife and I, myself alone, actually, before I met her. And I realized this is where I'd got to spend a lot of time. I'd got to spend a lot of time taking my stand on the watch. I've got to be a watchman somehow. Station myself on the tower. I'm thinking of some of the places in the world that I've been where they suffer forest fires. Up in Canada and uh, across in Washington state and parts of California. And I remember being in some places and these great big towers up there. And uh, the watchman would be up there looking for the fires, something happening. And there they were. You know, I'll, I'll go up there, Lord. I'll stand to watch and station myself on the tower and look forth to say, to see what he will say to me. You know, God has things to say to you and me. He's got things to say. He's got, you say, where do they come from? What God says comes from the deeps of who he is. And if he's in you, and I believe that you know that he is dwelling in you. What he has to say to you rises from deep within. Be calm,
1: be still, know that I am God, know
0: that I change not, Know that I am at work to bring about my will. Know, know that I'm working at work. And you know how the Lord speaks to, to Habakkuk as he's embracing God. I don't know whether you can discern, I'm sure you can. There is an, an attitude so deep in this man that's waiting, Watching humbly, humbly, expectantly,
1: God will answer me. God will settle me. It may not be a particular word, but He will settle me.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it says in the second verse, and the Lord. Answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain. You know, <laughs> it, what is very wonderful about, uh, about these things, of course, is that in a way, God says to us, you know, as I'm showing you these things, as I'm settling your heart. Write. Testify to them, live them, shine in these things. Let it, let it appear where you are. You know, someone, so, <laughs> someone sort of paid me a little bit of a surprising compliment when it makes a change from the opposite that you get sometimes. And uh, we were in a certain place in, 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 uh, it was in Wales and we spent the Saturday wanting to visit various people now, there'd been some meetings and a lady had come to the meetings never met her before and uh, she, she listened to me speak <clears throat> and uh, I don't know whether it did her any good at all but she asked a question at the end, which sparked me right off. She said, do you believe in sabbaticals? Now, that's not the kind of question that you get asked every day, especially when it had nothing to do with what I'd been speaking on. And, and I, so, I said, yes, of course I do, God does it. She said, I feel that I've been in a sabbatical, that we've moved here, et cetera, my husband and he's not the Lord's and so on and so on and so on. And as we got talking, you know, after the meeting and sharing, she said, you know, my, my husband, <clears throat> he's, he, he, he loves cars and he's got this beautiful 1959 Cadillac, two door convertible. I thought, oh, I'd like to see that, you see, but that wasn't the first thought in my mind. But I said to the people who we were staying with, I said, look, can, I'd love to go and see that, that lady and I'd like to get the opportunity to talk to her husband just about himself and his heart and if cars are an opportunity to have quarter of an hour or a half an hour with him then uh, can we go there and it was down all these country lanes in in the west of Wales and we we saw them and uh, I spent about half an hour with the man talking cars and other things as well about the world a bit and what was happening. He doesn't know the Lord at all. And, uh, you know, so that was that. It was a rather a busy day seeing other people as well. And then I heard a report you know, a couple of weeks later that the man said, Oh, Next time that man comes to have any meetings, I'd like to come. Uh, I'd like to go and hear him because he's, he's a very peaceful man. Now you can check that up on my wife. <laughs> but, but I thought to myself, well, isn't that quite something? You know, peace. We were talking about the world. We were talking about the troubles. He was bringing out some of his opinions. I didn't say much, but he picked up that underneath was peace. You get me? You get me? That's so important. And this is where, you know, it, it shines. And I think of this with Habakkuk, you know, mm. He, 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 he got this piece and he got answers and he wrote it he, he had the privilege of writing it and we've got it here and we'll come back to it next time yeah. we'll carry on and yeah. amen and is that all right yes is yes. that all right all of you Hallelujah. I hope there's something for every one of your hearts in all this. This is God. Mm-hmm. This is our God. Blessed be his name. So be be. Mm. I want to pray and then hand back to you. Can I?
1: Oh, can yes, I just- please. Go ahead. Father, mm. Father,
0: Father, Good Father. Thanks. So wonderful. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Mm. You, oh serene and blessed Christ, before Pilate, before Pilate, before all those wicked priests, knowing what was in their hearts and all their crookery and twistedness. Oh blessed Jesus, blessing people on the way. Lord, praying, Father, forgive them as they nailed you to the tree. Oh, Jesus, triumphant in the day of darkness. Lord, as they hung you there in the midst of everything callous and horrible. Mm. Lord, and with two thieves on one on one hand and one on the other, looking at you, mocking you, mocking you oh lord and then one of them after a few hours of beholding you he was changed in his very substance mm-hmm. it's wonderful what you do lord even there and i pray i pray for afghanistan i pray for yes, others God. that are in in days of difficulties that are being oppressed and persecuted, just as you, blessed Jesus, were oppressed and persecuted there on the tree. I pray, oh God, as we've often heard in other times, just like that thief was changed by beholding your poise, your power, your preciousness on the tree. Lord, I pray that wherever in this world, even as your church is being led in places to, to, to such difficult times, I pray that you, the living Christ, shall rise within them by your spirit and that peace will shine through them, Amen. and it will lead to salvation. It will lead to salvation even among the enemies. Mm. we pray for that for our brothers and sisters grant to them the peace that passes understanding lord grant to them lord your overruling care and to all of us lord all of us that are here now mm-hmm. lord in malaysia Lord, in Canada, in Australia, in the United States and wherever else I may come from. Oh, Lord, dear, dear Lord, let your church, let your church come out refined, refined, mm-hmm. your face shining clearly in hers. That's what we ask, Lord. that's what we ask. Amen.
1: In Jesus name. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Yeah.